Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Okay, today's episode is part two of the interview with Kevin Lee. Kevin is the founder and CEO of We Care, a service that allows online shoppers to donate a percentage of their online shopping at no cost to them to a nonprofit school or association. It's partnered with over two and a half thousand merchants, from Travelocity to Sears, one eight hundred Flowers and Apple, and to date, We Care has raised over seven point eight million dollars. Kevin is also the co-founder and CEO of Didit, an award-winning full-service online advertising and marketing services agency that's been in business for almost 20 years. In this episode, Kevin will share some lessons to help software entrepreneurs be more successful with search engine marketing, even if you have a limited budget. Okay, Kevin, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Today, we're going to talk about search marketing. Now, let's start by getting clear about what that actually means. How how do you define search marketing in your business? The way I see it is search is a consumer signal of intent. And so people are in an unusual state of mind when they're they're in search mode. Uh, They're much more open to suggestion. They're much more open to navigating to specific sites or engaging in consumption of information around whatever it is that they have an interest in. And so search almost like a state of mind um, that a consumer is in. And then how you get to that consumer while they're in that state of mind is, is a vendor or a channel or an ad creative issue. Uh, so that, that search intent is the key. So do, do you, um, do, do you think as sort of uh primarily about uh, SEM as paid search, or do you also think about it as SEO? Or even these, these days, I guess, you know, even social media has a sort of a search component to it. So is it all of those things for you? Yeah, I think it's all of those things, and it's even time-shifted search. So even display media or video uh, search uh, is is part of that equation. So all that is changing is just what the search engine results page uh, looks like, if there is even a search engine results page. So the devices change. Sometimes they're mobile. Sometimes they're desktop. The preference between uh, textual results, image results, news results, video results, you know, may be different from the searcher at different points in time. Uh, so it's really just what was what was their state of mind and and sometimes for retargeting purposes you know the person is actually in search mode for a considerable amount of time even though the search query may have occurred in the uh, distant past so a lot of that has to do with the um whether or not the uh, the commercial intent that they had is for a high consideration or low consideration um, decision, right? So uh, deciding uh, which flower bouquet to buy for your significant other is probably low consideration. You'll take a look at a few pictures and price points. You'll make a decision. You'll move on. But you know, deciding who to use as your 30-year fixed-rate mortgage provider is or uh, is a long, you know, decision process. So being able to get 
um, an ad in front of somebody even hours or days after they engaged in a search behavior with search retargeting, you know, that's still search in my mind because the intent that the consumer had is, had is still there. Or it might be a, a, a honeymoon vacation plan that you're doing. And so, you know, that just takes days and days to really think through all the options. And so being able to target off of that behavior uh, or that intent um, using display advertising or, or even um, video advertising that can also be targeted based on cookies, you know, that's all search. It's just different flavors of search. Uh, you've got pure commerce search like Amazon or eBay or the Rakuten Mall, uh, where you know people actually start their search behavior right within an e-commerce environment. That's search too. Now, you launched did it uh, almost twenty years ago, and as a full service agency, you've you've worked with um, you know uh, a lot of different clients. And so I really wanted to take this opportunity to try and pick your brain a little bit and and really try to understand as you sort of have worked with these different companies and particularly with, you know, with startups in mind, what are some of the common mistakes that you see these companies making when it comes to SEM? And if you were launching a new startup this year, what are some of the things that you would be doing and maybe doing a little bit differently than others? I would say a, a, a mistake, the mistakes that existing, you know, brands make are often different than the, the mistakes that a sort of freshly minted startup would make. Um, but sometimes the part of the mistake that the freshly minted startup makes is thinking that they can immediately have campaigns that are just as efficient and profitable as a more established brand. Um, and for a variety of reasons, that's really difficult to do. Uh, not the least of which that the established brands in a particular category, and that could be technology or e-commerce or pretty much anything, the, there's a familiarity that the searcher has with that established brand. And so that established brand is more likely to get the click, all other things being equal, in a search result. Um, so that gives them an, an unfair advantage, uh, which manifests itself essentially as a discount in clicks because everything is yield managed within the search engine results page these days using uh, quality score or some other score very similar to quality score. Um, and quality score is a normalized predicted click-through rate. So if you're a new new company and you've just launched and you think, hey, uh, Omar, I'm so glad we, we raised a half a billion dollars to launch superdiscountshoes.com, and we should be able to have a campaign that's just as efficient as Zappos. Well, you know, Zappos is a known name, and the shoe shopper may just not be quite as inclined to click on superdiscountshoes.com in comparison to Zappos. So we actually have some uphill uh, work to get done to have the same kind of a profit metric uh, in, a, in our paid search campaigns that a, that a Zappos might have. Uh, similarly, on the organic search side, right, there's a, a amount of momentum that you get in organic SEO that is difficult to replicate in a short amount of time because if you actually look like suddenly there are a lot of positive SEO signals pointing to your domain, you can actually have that backfire, and and I think it's a, it's a great point you make about the the brands, and 
you know, just thinking about sort of my personal experience, you know, the, the other day I was searching for life insurance, right? And what I realized was that when I get the search results page, I didn't really care what the the headline or the text of the ad or the results said. What I was actually doing was I was scanning um, the the domain to see if I recognized the brand. Exactly. Right. And that was enough for me to click on it. Yeah. And the fact that you chose brands probably disproportionately higher when you were doing that is that brand discount because those brands are more likely to get the clicks that gives them a high quality score that lets them get the position in the search results page less expensively. And so um, th- that information in your brain about that brand is the result of all the other uh, marketing that that brand has done, whether it's been done in search or it's been done in display or in social uh, or TV advertising for that matter. All those things uh, influence your behavior when you look at a search results page. Okay, good. So from from a startup perspective, you know, I hear people sometimes say, you know, we tried doing some PPC, it didn't really work, so we moved on to something else. And the first lesson here is um, you got to be realistic when you start out. You're not going to immediately um, get profitable campaigns running, um, and you have to really consider the the unfair advantage that brands have as well. Um, but assuming that you know somebody is still um, going to, you know, they, they accept that and they're, they still want to stick with doing, um, some SEM, but they have a limited budget. What, what can they do to start? You know, th- there's a lot of ways to, um, try to identify the, uh, highest potential profitability clicks, uh, ahead of time. Uh, so in other words, given a small amount of budget, uh, if, you were advertising nationally 24 hours a day against every keyword you wanted, that might be $40,000 a month, and you've got $400 a month. So now you have to think about, okay, I'm going to now go through and first look at my keywords, then I'll look at uh, geographies and times of day and you know all the other various ways of slicing and dicing. You know, Maybe I'll just take mobile devices because it's an app, or maybe I'll just take uh, desktop and tablets, because I think people will probably make a decision while they're you know at work, that kind of thing. And you know, slice and dice your campaign down to where you think the highest profit clicks might be, and it, and get that working first. Um, and you you know, there are all sorts of ways to to sort of narrow that that focus down. Certainly on the consumer side. Um, geography is a, is a huge, um, predictor, for example, of wealth or income, right? So if you either are targeting lower income or higher income, uh, individuals or households, you know, that's a great way to eliminate, um, you know, the, the, the waste or the less efficient portions of your campaign. Uh, so start small and learn, uh, what works, what resonates from an ad perspective, what resonates from a landing page perspective, because everything is cumulative, right? Any efficiencies you gain either in a better ad or in a better landing page really empower you to bid more for that click as you get better. Okay, let's talk a little bit about retargeting. Now, when, um, I guess, 
uh, retargeting sort of started being used by marketers. Initially, I think um, it felt a little bit creepy, right? That suddenly you'd go to a website and suddenly how how did somebody know that when you go to another website that um, you were looking at a certain product on Zappos or, or, or whatever. And I think these days consumers are getting more used to the idea of retargeting. Um, but again, for a startup, what advice would you give give people and um, what maybe is a common mistake that you see people still making with retargeting? So the biggest mistake I see marketers making in retargeting is not setting frequency caps on their display retargeting campaigns. And so uh, it really feels like you're being stalked if a brand is following you around everywhere you go and and uh, that those same ads from the same brand uh, are showing up too often. If they're showing up just occasionally, it could be more uh, by chance or serendipity that you're seeing the same brand again. So it sort of feels a little bit more natural. Uh, it's just important to set those frequency caps because it also will keep your campaigns more efficient. Because if the person hasn't responded to you and you're, you're showing ads to them 20 times a day, uh, you know, upping that to 25 is not going to increase the chances of success. Okay, that's that's great advice. Now, the other thing I wanted to ask you was, you know, uh, these days uh, a lot of people will will say things like, you know, it was really easy with AdWords five years ago because um, I could advertise against certain keywords and, you know, for for 10 cents, right? And these days it's so expensive that I just can't afford to to target those keywords. Do you have any advice for people who are in that situation? And if if not being able to make um, AdWords work, what other options may there be that people should be considering where they could put their ad dollars? Um, well, you know, it, almost all the media that you buy these days digitally is in some form of auction. And, you know, AdWords and the, the Bing platform and its predecessor at Overture and Yahoo Search, uh, you know, they were, Search was really the first place where uh, media was auctioned off in real, in real time or close to real time. Um, and, you know, there could, there could be a winner's curse scenario. So the person with the highest bids uh, or the highest ad rank, uh, meaning that they show at the top of the search results page, you know, they weren't necessarily actually winning. They could be losing money on every click. Um, so, yeah, I mean, auction markets for media are brutal. Uh, and search is probably the most brutal because in some cases there's such a shortage of good keywords for a particular industry category that the the marketers really do uh, beat themselves up uh, against each other in an attempt to get those clicks. But you know you mentioned retargeting earlier. That's that's being used effectively as part of a content marketing strategy for SEO and social because the idea is that I don't only have to retarget search behavior. I can retarget any behavior where the intent or an interest around my product is high. And that could have been the result of social media. That could have been the result of an email marketing campaign. It could have been the result of a variety of things. And being able to then uh, get messages in front of those uh, individuals using uh, retargeting can be very effective. Similarly, you know, building 
both a CRM and social CRM strategy can be really effective. So you, you don't only necessarily have to retarget based on cookies. Uh, these days with custom audiences and such, you can use um, things like email addresses and or cell phone numbers, for example, or phone numbers to create a custom audience within the social media ecosystems and uh, retarget your uh, prospects uh, or customers that way. So, uh, it, you know, it's, it's just a matter of trying to find the people with the right, at the right time with the right message. Um, and there are often more than, more than one channel to do that. Great. That's great advice. Thank you, Kevin. Um, okay, it's now time for our lightning round. Uh, I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I'd like you to answer them as quickly as you can. Are you ready? Sure. Yep. All right. What's the best piece of business advice that you ever received? Uh, best piece of business advice I ever received is probably uh, understand accounting. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? Uh, currently, I would probably rec- recommend uh, Zero to One. I think that's Peter Thiel. Um, just because he articulates the difference between ventures that make a huge difference in a marketplace and ventures that are just normal businesses. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? Uh, Successful entrepreneurs uh, stay in touch with their employees and their customers. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Uh, productivity tool, um, I guess current favorite continues to be email. I use my email inbox sometimes to even remind myself to do things. If you had to start over tomorrow, how would you go about finding that next business opportunity? I would probably not rush into it. Uh, every, every business I've invented thus far has been the result of some kind of a catalyst in my ecosystem or in my life that that caused me to think, wow, there's a better way of doing this, or wow, there's a complete vacuum in this particular area. I wonder if there'd be a way of filling that vacuum. So um, I would certainly wait until the right idea comes along. If you, um, I already asked you that one. (laughs) What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Uh, most people don't know is actually born in Germany by mistake because my mom was visiting and I showed up 10 weeks early. <laughs> so so d- does that give you German nationality? It, potentially, yes. I have two birth certificates, one from the American embassy in Germany and one from uh, from Germany. There we go. Okay. And finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? I don't know. Uh, that's a tough one. I may have to think, and, and you'll have to edit out my ums and ahs on this one. <laughs> uh, let's see. Passion outside of work is probably science. I, I, I think science and engineering education is so critical to the future of both our country and the world that I, I feel like you know it's, it's just not getting the level of attention that it deserves. Great. Kevin, I want to thank you for joining me today and and sharing your experiences and insights with our audience. And thank you for letting us get to know you a little better personally as well. Now, if folks want to find out more about We Care, they can go to we-care.com. And for Did It, they can go to didit.com. 
If they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, they can pick their social media uh, flavor that they like. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm heavily on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, although probably a bit more difficult given how many other Kevin Lees there are. But certainly Twitter, uh, I'm easy to find on Twitter. I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. Awesome. Kevin, thanks again, and I wish you continued success. Thanks, you too. Take Cheers. care. Omar. Thank you.